You know, I would love, oh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish I could get a piece of candy from listening to the sermon. <laughs> well, good morning to each and every one of you. It is wonderful to see you all here as we are continuing in our, our summer series of Church 101, what we do as a church and why we do it. Our topic, as uh, Pastor Stewart said for this morning, is fellowship, um, which is why we all stood up and we shook each other's hands for a good couple of minutes. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles, I would ask you to please open them up with me to the book of Acts. Our passage this morning is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Again, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. <clears throat> verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Let us pray together for our time here this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the blessings that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with this opportunity to worship you, to sing songs of praise, and, Father, to hear your word. We thank you, Father, that you have given to us your Son, Jesus Christ, that he willingly died for our sins, and, Father, it is through him that we have been adopted as children we thank you, Lord, for this, and we thank you, Father, for the bonds of relationship that we have because of this. Father, I, I pray because, Lord, I so desperately need you this morning. Father, I pray that you would empower me through your spirit, that you would help me to teach and to preach faithfully, with accuracy and with clarity. Father, use your spirit with us Help us to see what it is you have to teach us through your word. Help us to, to apply the scriptures to our lives. And above all, Father, may you be glorified through our time together. Father, we love you, Lord. We praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you guys have ever watched a, a war movie or, or perhaps a series such as Band of Brothers. However, if you have, you would notice that these soldiers had a very unique bond. They, were, they had a special relationship that it's not just between a bunch of friends. It was far more than just a bunch of employees, a bunch of co-workers that worked for the same company. No. Their bond was far different. These soldiers, they needed to rely upon each other in order to persevere in adverse conditions. They had to endure combat. They had to make it through. They had to be able to trust in the person right next to them as soon as it all began. There could be no doubt that their fellow soldiers were not only capable, but they would also be willing to work together so that they could survive the battle. 
Their bond is strong, and it shows a necessary dependence upon others. This bond that they have, it's very similar to ours as Christians. We have a bond in Christ Jesus that unites all of us, unites every single Christian, every single believer. And the interesting thing is, it's not just here in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. This bond unites us to every single believer throughout the entire world, through Australia, Africa, Europe. We have been purchased by Jesus Christ. We have been adopted into this family, this very large family. We now have siblings from all over the world. Now, we're talking about fellowship this morning. So why in the world am I talking about bonds or relationships or families? What does this have to do with anything that we're going to be looking at here this morning? What in the world does fellowship even mean? What is fellowship? And this is actually going to be the very first question we're going to be looking at together on our topic. Our first question is, what is fellowship? Well, what is fellowship? How about I give you a definition? Fellowship is the bond that we share with all believers in Christ Jesus. Fellowship is the bond that we share with all believers in Christ Jesus. Now, let's look at that definition closely. First off, we see that fellowship is a bond We see in Acts chapter 2, the verse that we just read, verse 42, that the early church had devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to praying and to the fellowship. Now, this word fellowship in Greek is koinonia. What it means is communion or a sharing of in common. This idea that we are to have a communion or to be united in this sharing of Christ is better seen in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, which reads this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In both of these passages, we see the same word being used for fellowship, koinonia. This means that all Christians are in communion because of one thing, Jesus Christ. Once we are saved, we belong to Jesus, and we are immediately given this unbreakable bond with every single Christian, past, present, and future. This bond that we have, it's so unique because it transcends cultural boundaries. This communion that we have, it, it is unhindered by ethnic distinctions. This fellowship that we all share now goes beyond, uh, beyond our social economic status. 
It goes beyond our past, our preferences, our experiences, our personalities, and even our perspectives. We have brothers and sisters from all around the world. And let me tell you something, that is so cool. That is so wonderful. When I was in Puerto Rico several years ago, I had met brothers and sisters who I knew nothing about. People who I had no idea about their past, about whatever difficulties they might be facing. But we all had a bond that transcended even our linguistic differences. I could not speak a lick of Spanish. But I knew that the person serving me had a great love and care for me. That she had a greater love for me than even my classmates in college. That the man who preached to us in his own language cared for me more than my previous co-workers. Why? What's the difference here? It's this bond that we have. This communion, this fellowship that we all have because of Jesus Christ. I dearly love my friends, but I have more in common with believers in Africa than I do with them. This fellowship that we all share with with all believers is truly unique. This isn't a club where we all like golf or something weird. This isn't a fraternity or a sorority where we all have a shared group of beliefs and then we just pay into that. We pay a weekly due and then we just go and live our lives. Not at all. This is an unbreakable bond and it connects us with every single Christian. It connects us to geeks and jocks, bookworms and athletes. There is even such a diversity here in Big Woods. We have nerds, we have hunters, we have athletes, and all sorts of individuals with different experiences, with different perspectives, different personalities, different political views, and even different ethnicities within our very congregation. Amongst this diversity, we all share in a singular bond. Many different people who are united within one communion. Sinners who are part of one fellowship because of the works of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Man, if I had time this morning, I would love to just continue to read on in Ephesians. It's such a wonderful book because it shows us of this unity that we have as brothers and sisters. This unity that is achieved not because of who we are, but has been given to us because of the works of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, there is a tendency amongst us that we only want to love people who look just like us. We want to gather in our own little cliques and enjoy fellowship with people who only have similar beliefs as us. We may even go as far as to perhaps gossip 
or slander other brothers and sisters because they are different from us. It's as if we we take our preferences and then we make them the standards of which we use to judge our brothers and sisters. I mean, after all, you you can't be a a Christian if you read that uh, that witchcraft, that Harry Potter. You can't be a Christian if you love that weird sci-fi junk, that Star Trek, that Star Wars. There's no way that we can be saved if we're not homeschooling our children. Christians don't go to public schools. A a real Christian family would never let their kids listen to that weird heavy metal stuff. This is a huge problem. We do not get to turn our preferences into the standard of Christian living. We need to be careful that we do not allow our preferences to determine other people's salvation. to determine who is worthy of this fellowship that we share. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to have a bond with sin. This doesn't mean that we are to have communion or fellowship with disobedience to the Lord. What this does mean is that Christians are weird. We all look different. I mean, I probably look funnier than most of us. We all talk differently. We all like different things, but nonetheless, each and every one of us are united together because of this salvation, because of the works of Christ. This communion that we have is something that's been given to us. We never created this bond, and there's no way that we could. We could never make such a long-lasting or a strong unity in the face of so much diversity. If we were a club, we would have broken up a long time ago. Instead, we are able to enjoy this unity because of the salvation that is given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. We have no excuse to love only certain Christians. We must love all of our brothers and sisters, and we must be willing to serve all of our family. Our first question was, what is fellowship? Our second question is, how do we fellowship? How do we fellowship? If the what is fellowship, if, if fellowship is this bond that we indeed share, then the act of fellowship is the sharing of this bond, this unity that we have. Let's look back at Acts. I hope you still have your Bibles open. Acts chapter 2, we're going to skip down a little bit to verses 44 through 47. Starting in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, excuse me, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. What a wonderful picture of Christian fellowship. Now, I, I know that we, in our series of Church 101, have been using these early believers, this early church, as an example for us. I want to make something clear real quick. These Christians, these early believers, they, are still, they were still just as human as we are. They still had a sinful nature that they had to fight and contend with which makes all of this even the more interesting, in my opinion, that these Christians, these people who are saved by God, who still had to contend with their sinful nature, were participating in fellowship in such a wonderful way. And what ways have they participated in this fellowship? Well, I'll give you three this morning. First one, they gave sacrificially to each other. Firstly, they gave sacrificially to each other. In verse 45, these early Christians were selling their stuff so that they could provide for the needs of others. They loved each other so much that they were willing to sacrifice for each other. Now, this, this sacrificial giving doesn't have to strictly be financial for us. This could include our time, our food, our, our love, and our attention. Given sacrificially comes from an attitude of putting the needs of others before yourself. Of valuing them more important than yourself. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the mindset that we are to have within this fellowship. We are to put the needs of others before our own. Now, we're not all called to sell everything that we have and then to give that to the poor. However, each and every single one of us here are commanded to care for each other's needs. We are called to help our brothers and our sisters when life is difficult. We are called to bear one another's burdens and, and sorrows, as well as to rejoice with one another. As a church, we have been immensely blessed. We have so many families that are being continually blessed with more and more children. And we celebrate this. We praise the Lord for this blessing, for his provision for these families. However, there are also families within our congregation who have been struggling, who perhaps can't conceive, who have been trying for years we need to come alongside them as well. We need to share in their pain. We need to be as willing to celebrate with others as we are to grieve with those who grieve. It's the sacrificial giving of our, of our finances, of our emotions, our time, and our care 
that proves our love for each other. Through our sacrifice to each other, the love of Christ is demonstrated to a watching world. Not only this, but through this next act of fellowship, we're better able to know that very love, to know the love of God. Secondly, they worship and they learn together. These early Christians, this, these, these early group of believers, they worshiped and they learned together. In verse 46, Luke states that these early Christians went to the temple together. At that time, the temple was the place to worship the Lord and would have been an ideal place to listen to what would have been the best teachers at the time. We already talked in our series about corporate worship, about why we do this as a body of believers, why we do this as a church. However, I think it's interesting that when we do discuss this topic of fellowship, we don't normally talk about corporate worship with it or corporate learning with it. Yeah, I think Acts chapter 2 makes it clear. Corporate worship and corporate learning is not only an application of a rightful understanding of who God is, but also is a demonstration of this fellowship that we have with each other. Both corporate learning and corporate worship are ways that we can participate within this wonderful fellowship that we all share. I don't know about you, but I don't learn do so well if I try to learn something all by myself. I always mix something up. I always mess something up. No, I need to learn with other people. We need to learn amongst other believers about the scriptures, about the Lord, about, I'm sorry, about the word of God. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is why we have Sunday school after service. This is, this is why we have home groups and, and Bible studies and even retreats. It's important that we learn the word of God together so that we can become better encouraged by one another and so that we also may better encourage others. We sharpen each other so that we would not fall victim to the worldviews of our culture. By myself, I would so easily succumb to the numerous philosophies, to the numerous opinions of the world. However, when I am surrounded by a group of brothers and sisters who desire to know their Lord and who want to hold me accountable to the scriptures, then I'm better able to cling to my Savior. I am able to mature and to grow in my faith because I am able to learn with you. This act of corporate learning, it's mutually beneficial. Not only am I learning something from you, you guys are learning something from me as well. All of us, Growing together through this act of fellowship 
just like we would grow in this next act of fellowship. Thirdly and lastly, these early Christians, they spent time with each other. They spent time with each other. In verse 46, these early Christians were breaking bread with each other. Simply put, they were spending quality time with each other. They would invite each other for a a shared meal and praise the Lord for everything that he had done for them. This is so countercultural compared to what, what we see today. Most people generally like to be left alone. They don't, we don't like to open ourselves up to other people, but these Christians, these early believers, they wanted to live their lives with each other. Most people like to, would want to try to hide their faults from one another and perhaps that, that messy living room from other guests. These Christians, they were open with each other. They, they couldn't care less if there were goldfish under the couch or if there were toys scattered all over the floor. Instead, they just wanted to love each other. They cared more for each other and wanted to spend time with each other. There was no holding each other at arm's length. This concept of individualism that we have in our country would have been alien to them. And it is absolutely contradictory to the fellowship that we have. We're not meant to live life alone. We're not meant to just go home, live in our own little castle, and then maybe go out for a bite to eat every now and then. We are to live life with each other. This means that we spend time with each other. This means that we need to be open with one another. We rejoice with each other. We celebrate in each other's successes. This is why we have our summer gatherings, so that we can all have wonderful, delicious food. And then we talk to each other. We check up on each other, see how we're doing, see how we can help each other, how we can pray with each other, maybe even cry for each other. We need to not only spend quality time with each other, but we do need to be open with each other as well. This fellowship that we have, this this bond that we share is strengthened because we are all working and we're living together. It's important that you check in on your brothers and sisters so that we all may continue to grow and persevere in our faith. I'm willing to bet that amongst the early Christians in our passage in Acts chapter 2, that there was an expectation and even an allowance that these early Christians would have access to one another. Why? So that they could encourage each other. So that they could check in, that they could pray for one another. Perhaps at times even to correct, or worse, to even rebuke each other. I'm willing to bet these Christians valued each other so highly that it didn't bother them if a brother or a sister had walked up to them and had a difficult conversation about their sin. 
If anything, they, they probably thank that brother. They thanked that sister for caring so much about them. This is completely different from our culture. We, we like to leave people alone. We like to keep to our own selves. We will live in a you-do-you kind of society where personal autonomy is far more important than spiritual growth. We don't want to have difficult conversations with each other. We don't want to lovingly go to our brother and tell him that he needs to think before he talks. We don't want to kindly go to our sister and remind her that gossiping and slander is a sin. But this shouldn't be the case. As Christians, we should care very deeply about each other's growth and maturity. We love each other. We don't want to see our brothers and sisters harm themselves because of their sin. We don't want to see them harm other people because of their disobedience. We want them to grow. We want them to become more mature in their faith. This is why we have to be open with each other. And we must be willing to not only correct, but also to receive that correction. This isn't an invitation, by the way, to become critical of each other, to critique every little thing that we do, every single word that we say. This isn't an invitation for us to be harsh with one another. Sometimes a rebuke or a strong correction is necessary, but we must always, always do so lovingly, graciously, with patience and mercy. The purpose of correction and rebuke isn't to scare someone. It isn't to force someone into compliance. It's so that our bond of fellowship may be strengthened. So that our walk with Christ may be better. So that we can maintain this unity that we have with not only each other, but also with Christ. Why do we do all this? Why would we do any of these things? It's because by doing so, we will grow in our faith and we would persevere to the end by living life openly with our brothers and sisters, by participating within this fellowship, we mature in holiness and in righteousness. By sharing this bond, we will persevere in both obedience and within faith. Now, we're going to look at that last question in a moment here. But I want, all, I want all of us to pause for a moment. You see all those days in those three points, those three subpoints? Cross them out and put we. We give sacrificially. We worship and learn together. We spend time together. This is how we fellowship. This is how we work out this bond that we all share. And sure, we could add an awful lot more to these lists. We could add an awful lot more things that we do. We could, like, praying together. However, I think that these three give us a foundation, a groundwork to work off of. 
All three of these examples come from one singular mindset. We must love each other unconditionally. We do not get to choose our family. We do not get to choose who is saved and who is not. We do not get to choose who we have fellowship with. We don't get to choose who shares in this bond that we have. Because that was given to us through Christ Jesus. If the Lord loves us unconditionally, then we must love our brothers and sisters unconditionally. This doesn't mean that we excuse sin. This doesn't mean that we can't expect each other to grow in holiness. What this does mean is that every single Christian is deserving of our love no matter who they are. We must not forsake our brothers and sisters. Instead, we must preserve together. Our last question for this morning is why? Why do we fellowship? Why do we fellowship? I have two answers for us this morning. First off, we participate in fellowship so that we can persevere. We participate in fellowship so that we can persevere. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We exert each other. We, in, we encourage each other. We participate in this fellowship so that each one of us would not fall away to sin. Fellowship protects us from the deceitfulness of sin and keeps us in company with our Savior. This power, this preventative power, is not something that we ourselves have. Instead, this is the Holy Spirit working and using our fellowship to prevent us from falling away. He is actively working through our participation to guard us, to protect us, and to keep us in the faith. This Spirit is using this diversity of believers to aid in our personal growth and in our personal maturity. He's using Christians from all over the world, saints from the past, from the present, and from the future. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that the race that is set before us Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's interesting is that this cloud of witnesses that the uh, writer of Hebrews is talking about is the saints of the old, of David, of Abraham, of Moses, even Gideon and, and Samson. But why are these people so important for us? Why are they so important for our fellowship? It's because these individuals are witnesses to the glory and to the nature of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 38, there is a long list of individuals who willingly serve God in faith because of the glory that was revealed to them. Each and every one of them would tell you how terrible their sins were. And they would tell you to cling to your Savior. This cloud of witnesses, it, it, it now includes the, the apostles, the early church fathers. It includes believers such as Sarah Edwards, Lottie Moon, George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon. R.C. Sproul, Timothy Keller, and many other believers who are patiently waiting for us to finish our race. Believers like Jay Gaunt, like Bill Murray, Catherine Gray, R.J. Conser, and, and Scott Stout. They, too, are members of this great fellowship that we all share. And if they were here with us today, they would be encouraging us. They would be telling us to continue to be faithful to Jesus Christ, to work together, to love each other, encouraging us to persevere and to grow in our faith. The second reason why we fellowship we participate in fellowship so that we can be more faithful. We participate in fellowship so that we can be more faithful. There has been a theme throughout our second question on how we fellowship. In each of those examples, there is a theme of either growing within our faith or, or practicing that faith. We sacrificially give as a means of worship, of demonstration of a reliance upon God. If we trust God to provide for us, if we trust in God's unconditional love for us, then we are going to reciprocate that. Worshiping and learning together helps us to grow in our understanding of God as well as our love for him. Seeing how God has used and blessed others, this should give us confidence. Confidence that God is going to use and bless us. When we spend time with each other, we ought to be seeing how God's faithfulness in each and every one of our lives is causing us to become more faithful and obedient to him. 
bearing with each other's burdens and sorrows. It's a cause to remind us that God is our comforter. God is with us. He loves us. He's not forsaking us. Not only does his outworking of our fellowship protect us from sin, but it empowers us to grow and to become more faithful to God. All of us has a role within this communion. We are not hermits. We're not secluded within our own theological camp. We are soldiers. We are working together. Your participation is crucial. Your work is necessary. And your love is commanded. Let's persevere together. Let us endure together. Let's strengthen each other. And let us run this race so that we will all finish strong that we may make it together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have blessed us with such a unique and wonderful bond. Lord, we could not create this. We could not make it. But Father, you have given it to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we, we pray, Lord. We pray that you would help us to love each other more and more. Help us, Father, to serve one another. Help us, Father, to be patient and loving with one another. And Father, as we, as we continue to live our lives, may we live our lives with each other so that we all may grow in our faith. And Father, continue to remind us of your love for us. Remind us how wonderful you are. Remind us how great you are, how great your affections are for us, how much you truly care for us. And may we live lives that are changed because of that. Father, we love you, Lord. We praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.